from our Patreon backers to write at the gaming table. This is Rose's Guide. All My Fantasy Children presents Rose's Guide, Chapter 2, The Elves of Moon Crescent. Hey, Aaron. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back to All My Fantasy Children presents Rose's Guide, an annotated audio tour through the worlds of All My Fantasy Children. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to be doing this one. There was a good response to the last episode. People seemed to really dig it. Yeah, I'm glad it's helping people out learn, uh, kind of, learn kind of what we've been up to and like this, the bigger picture so we can move forward and make cooler stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, a brief recap, this is a an annotated audio tour. This is a, a lore guide for new listeners, as well as a refresher for people who've been listening for a while who want to catch up with the various things. A jumping on point, a refresher point. It's good stuff. I'm really excited. So this week, we're talking about elves? We are talking about the elves of Moon Crescent, yes. I dig it. I'm very excited. You ready to dive in? I am. I have my guide up, and I'm ready to rock. All right. So, um... Aaron, why don't you tell me a little bit about the history of the elves? So the history of the elves, we established in the last introductions episode that each color of the five, the beings of tremendous power that created our world of fantasy, the elves were created by Cyan. They were beamed down by moonlight, born of moonlight under the watchful gaze of the entity Cyan. And like the ocean pulled by the moon's waves... Elves are born with the pull of the tide inside them. They are, there are periods in which an elf experiences low tide, in which they are aloof and reserved, maybe a little frail, maybe a little withdrawn. And then there are periods of high tide where they're, they, their whole essence seems to change and they are at once boisterous and excited and adventurous and proud and maybe a little arrogant or cocky sometimes. They, they, they feel these extremes, right? They're pulled from one one tide to the next, and this might last for years, it might last for decades, it might last for centuries, it might last for days or hours. It goes back and forth. Each elf experiences a tide at their own rate. I have a question for you. Yes. Um, where did that concept come from? I believe you introduced it in uh, in Trick Smallman. We talked about it in the... I know we talked about it on Discord. But where does where does that like stem from? Because I know that's not mine. Uh, I believe that stems from a conversation we were having on Discord. I know that you had originally said they were born of like you had craft the elves were born from the moonlight. Yeah, and like linked to the water. I knew that much. And so like I think that was where the idea just came from. It was okay. the idea of like moon plus water is tides, and then the other half of that being that like in fiction. There are two kinds of elves. Yeah. If we're looking at, like, the fantasy elf, not necessarily the Christmas elf. Yes. There is the sort of the uh, Rivendell, Elrond, very, like, quiet and calm and reserved and aloof. And then there's the, like, the wood elf who is jumping from tree to tree with a bow and arrow, singing a song and, like, sliding on a skateboard. Yeah, exactly. And so, like... The, uh, the the origin of the elven tide idea for me was, what if they are both the same person? Mm. What if that person just shifts from being Legolas to Elrond to Legolas to Elrond over the course of their life? And what if, like, that becomes, and that becomes sort of a, like, a, an elven cycle, so to speak? 
Yeah, I'm all about it. It's a great way for us to talk about other stuff, too, without really talking about it. You know what sure. I'm saying? And it's it's always been one of my favorite things that we've ever made up that, like, in our world of, like, everything's awesome, it's, like, not for everyone all the time. Right. And it's it's, it's talking about talking about other things. It's also very much based on the fact that, like, living with depression and anxiety, it sometimes feels like I can go from being, like, one person to a whole different person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I wanted something to reflect that, and this was a nice magical way to, like, make that a thing. And that kind of guides into the fact that, like, elven culture is a culture of caring for others, yeah. right? Yeah, It is absolutely. a culture of my high tide will carry you in low, your low tide, and your low tide will support me in high tide, and we will go back and forth. We will make sure that we take care of each other and provide the needs that we each need from each other. Yeah, it's been a cool way for us to talk about, like, hospitality work. Like, that led for us being, like, well, then elves would be number one in, like, self-care and hospitality and, like... For sure. You know, that industry, I guess, we're, we'll call it for lack of a better term. But in, like, fantasy, people getting into self-care and, you know, recovery, mm-hmm. we were, like, elves are definitely number one in that. It's It's central to their culture of, like, I'm going to take care of the people in my life and they are going to take care of me. Yeah, and, like, pampering, and, like, that, yeah. just taking, having a, like, you know, taking care of yourself, which is, like, one of my favorite characters and like, the structure of the episode has been Evelyn Skyline, mm-hmm. so I'm glad she popped up on this guide right here. Yeah. Um, because it's when we really got to hammer down, like, uh, by the way, if you check out Evelyn Skyline, Sunny Skies Cove, if you want to learn about elves and self-care, mm-hmm. just the idea of Moon Crescent is a place where it's not, like, a resort town, but the resorts at Moon Crescent are the best. And it's it's just, it was a good way for us to figure out, like, it's by the water, you know, like, I like being by the water. A lot of fancy resorts are. Why aren't the elves just, you know, that's, it, it seems like a perfect fit for that sort of element. Yeah, and Evelyn Skyline is a great look into sort of the, the care of, the, the care, the, the culture of caring that feel, populates a lot of the elves. Uh, there's also, you could look at Catch Cavalier as another example of sort of, Community caring through performance and laughter and comfort. Uh, should we talk about Catch Cavalier here? Yeah, we can. Uh, because it's also like both of these characters are the perfect example of uh, elves for me. Mm-hmm. Where it's like Evelyn Skyline like has this resort for people, you know, but is a reserved, very private person. You know, we, we try to paint the picture of like these are our characters are like complete people where catch cavalier has a talk show you know goes to lift people up but also like this is a hard difficult job that can weigh on you and she comes from a medical past and like has a passion for taking care of people and lifting them up but also this career choice is challenging Mm -hmm. you know traveling the world and taking care of everyone like that this culture of self-care and taking care of others does you know, at times get strenuous and is difficult for some. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, let's talk about Catch Cavalier and some necromancy real quick. Let's talk about let's talk about Catch Cavalier. So, uh, Catch Cavalier is the world's most charming necromancer. She is the host of a traveling talk show, and uh, but by being a necromancer, specifically, what that means is uh, there are five ley lines that run through the world. The magical essence of the five beings that created that shaped fantasy, mm-hmm. and. When you die, your essence goes back into the ley line from whence you came. 
And if your essence, if your being, if your life story was particularly powerful, if you if you believed in something deep enough, when you returned to the ley line, that essence echoed out into the world. Yeah. If you love your family, and you spend your life taking care of your family, and you believe in your family more than anything in this world, when you die, the entire world, families become a little closer. Yeah. It's, it's this cool thing that... I mean, it's been it's been kind of a central part of the show now, but it's it was such a cool thing to add in Catch Cavalier, this idea of necromancy, which also is born of the Discord in mm-hmm. a conversation with Demoon Rolls, um, of the idea of and a necromancer is someone born with the ability to hear the voices of the ley line. Because right. that would mean that there's so many voices in there. And rather than a necromancer in typical fantasy that like brings a person back to life. This is someone who can kind of not, I don't know if it's commune, but definitely listen and project their image, like their essence. It's sort of someone who, it's kind of like a sketch artist, I would say, where like the voice, they hear it, and it's like, I think this is what I'm hearing. So it's kind of up to the responsibility of the necromancer to like do a good job of recreating the person. Right. You are hearing a projection of that person's great like great personal truth. And yeah. the, the the role of a necromancer is to relay that truth to others. And that is how Catch Cavalier sort of translated. She goes from town to town and literally like finds people like finds spirits and like tells their story to their loved ones to be like this is this is what this person like has to say like this yeah. is their story this is their truest essence yeah and people hear that and they they reflect on it and they they come to a greater understanding yeah and it, it led to a lot of like new questions to be asked about what well, was sort of like we had started developing this was the first time we kind of developed like the culture of death in fantasy mm-hmm. you know we've never really gotten into it but it's we definitely established that when someone dies you mourn them and there's a funeral mm-hmm. but also when the wagon is coming the wagon is coming catch cavalier comes to your town and is like hey let's celebrate their life yeah you know and it's the idea of celebrating a person's life and talking about their true essence and kind of making this blow to a community a little easier to to handle. Yeah. Uh, you can learn more about that on the Catch Cavalier episode. Uh, you can also learn more about this on the Barney Barguest episode. Barney was a young man who uh, met Catch Cavalier, uh, saved her life moments before his own death, and his spirit lives on in ways that I... And his spirit lives on in ways that I don't want to spoil for you, but uh, go listen to Barney Bargas. It's a very yeah, good episode. It's a very good one. Uh, and for other elves still, um, that sort of culture of caring reflects itself in, like, arts and crafts and keepsakes and treasures and tchotchkes and the little things that, like, bring you joy. And that's sort of, if you want to learn more about that, you can listen to the the Pira Spencer episode. Yeah, it's it's for me like I've always thought of it as like if you have a period that sucks, you know that is it's kind of unavoidable, but you mm-hmm. never know when it's going to come. Uh, you would tr- you would value the time that you're in high tide so much, mm-hmm. and you would just treasure it and make sure you're having the best time. And those people also make sure that those in low tide have like the easiest time possible. Right. So it's kind of a time of celebration. Like when you're in happy, you celebrate that and you make sure that those who can't celebrate are still able to have some fun. And that's yeah. kind of Pyra Spencer's whole vibe 
of like opening a Spencer's gift store. That brings us to so we've talked about high tide and low tide. We've talked about sort of the nature of elves and the way mm-hmm. they sort of drift from one state to the other. And we've talked about the fact that this can be sort of a painful process. I think it you know, we often talk about low tide as being the painful one, but like there are also I think painful moments of high tide where you just feel like this anxious kind of energy. Yeah, I mean, if something were coming at any time that would completely like drain you, make you feel like poo-poo. Yeah. And we've talked and so like that kind of painful existence is what brings us to a piece of history called the nocturne. Oh, the nocturne. Uh yeah, it's a it's a period of in the past when the five jeweled crown that we discussed, the rulers of fantasy or the rulers of the separate cities, uh Nymphaea Lachis, the leader of the elves, uh someone who has the a bard who has the elven quill which kind of like links all minds to her she can hear your thoughts and your Mm -hmm. needs and wants not like an espionage way but like a caretaking way of like let me provide for you which weight Mm -hmm. is that weight is tremendous and that was kind of the point of the writing of it was uh if someone can do that and knows exactly what you need and sends you a letter every morning saying like hey I know what you're going through, and here's what I uh, here's what I recommend for you to have a better day. That weight would kind of be like it's not fair that yeah. the other cultures don't go through the tidal cycle, like and someone with this great tremendous magical power from having like an art of relic of the five would be like I, I I can stop I should stop this you know I want the elves to have the same fun that the dwarves and the beast folk are having and everybody else. So she did a thing called the Nocturne that you should listen to. You can find all this, by the way, in the uh, the history lessons. Um, one is called The Old Moon and the other is The Nocturne and also right. Reflections, The Shattering of the Five Jewel Crown. But yeah, she dragged the moon across the sky, blotted out the sun to try to stop, literally stop the flow of water and like freeze the tide. Things went bad and... You know, it's it was kind of a story of just the extent that someone would go right. to end this, because it's not really fair. It's not really the best. It does suck. And so that is the, the history of the Nocturne, is the history of uh, of somebody going to extreme lengths to try and, like, help people. And from that, we sort of, this culture of, like, elven care comes from in terms of, well, we can't stop this. Let's just make sure we take care of each other. Exactly. It also... A culture of letters and information comes from that, because Nymphaeolacus was writing letters to people, so letters become important, and it also became a way to keep things private, because if there was a person who, even with the best of intentions, could hear your every thought, Mm -hmm. but the only way to, like, keep things out of your head was to put them on paper. So letters and information and secrets become important in Moon Crescent. Yeah. And... After Nymphaeolacus dies, this culture of letters and information kind of grows into a culture of, like, secrets and information control. Yes, unfortunately, it gets it gets kind of messy. Yes. And it's something I've been wanting to talk to you about for a long time, because we always touch on it, but, like, I want to hammer down some details, because that, yeah, that way sure. you just described it is the perfect way to kind of, like, how we justified... Uh, this whole secrecy culture where information is power and secrets are can change everything because they stem from a place where there kind of were no secrets. 
Oh yeah, it's it's a culture in which there. It's like you said, there are a culture in which there's no secrets. Everything is out in the open. Suddenly, secrets are introduced. Suddenly, the possibility for secrets are introduced. Yeah, it's going to. Those are going to become incredibly valuable, incredibly quickly, and incredibly damaging, incredibly quickly. Yeah, especially in a place where like there's a power grab available. Like uh-huh. Nymphaeus is dead. Like yes, Nymphaeus added to the ley line like a tremendous amount of compassion and care. You know, like you some. I think some say in fantasy that like the culture of the elves came from Nymphaeus's death. You know, mm-hmm. that self-care. But there are some that would take advantage of that. And yeah. that there's room now to, like, seize authority. And I think that's where we have in in, in Moon Crescent, modern Moon Crescent, there are these ruling houses mm-hmm. that control information and grow and seize power. Like, power is kind of scattered in Moon Crescent, and it's divided up by, like, Ruling houses, people who, with the information, have the power. You can hear a little bit about this sort of culture of information in the Swiftwind episode, uh, Swiftwind and the Messenger Sword. Yep. And um, there's an element of the noble houses that is uh, sort of a beautiful idea that has been kind of twisted by the, the culture of secrets. Yeah. That is, in a way that sort of inversely mirrors the dwarves uh dwarven names come from your first word we talked about that in the last episode your first word determines like your life's purpose Mm -hmm. and your name is kind of you're given a name that reflects that right like you are given a name that reflects the thing that you are going to be excellent at and you're given that name from birth essentially or from your first word exactly uh elves are kind of the inverse of that where they choose their own name upon reaching adulthood they find once they find the thing that they are going to do, they pick the name that like speaks to them, right? They pick, they choose their own name. Yeah, it's sort of like once once you like have a like you know you know who you are and you know what you want and you know you know just it, they can change on demand pretty much. Mm-hmm. But like when you know when you know you know that you're yeah. like like Evelyn Skyline was like you know I value the feeling that the sunlight gives me and the feeling of relaxation. She looked out over the beach and just said like skyline. This is, this is my, this is my name. This is my name. Yeah. And it's that, you know, it's like you said, it's when you know, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that is a beautiful way to put it. And noble houses kind of came from that. And there's a lot of power in choosing the name of a noble house and standing with this noble house. That is kind of the dark other side of that coin. It, it's like the if you start if if your goal was starting to like collect information and collect secrets about other people, that is juice in Moon Crescent. Mm-hmm. It's it's considerable. It's like comparable. I mean, to like wealth. Yeah. Where like the more you have, the more powerful you become. The more people will fear you and therefore like join you, so that your secrets don't get revealed. And that's how like. The idea of knights came and, like, subjects to the royal houses, which you can hear a lot about in uh, Falcon Vale and Dusk Sea Breeze. Yes, there's this, yes, uh, with secrets there come detectives, and with detectives there come conflict. And these noble houses have uh, detectives. They employ detectives, they employ, their their knights are detectives, essentially. You can compare it to, like, a typical medieval setting, Except don't, because, like, how someone would hire, like, train knights is more of, 
you hire someone. Like, you hire a detective, you assemble your team of knights to keep your secrets safe and uncover the secrets of others. Yeah, it's a spy game, essentially. It's a spy game, yes, except with cool terms like knights. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a fantasy spy game. I love it so much. It's real cool. Uh, like I said, Fa- uh, Falcon Vale, you get a lot of information about that, like, the house detective culture. Yeah. And all of this, this culture of secrets, this culture of information, mm-hmm. this comes to a head because there is a revelation in the history of Moon Crescent. Mm-hmm. There's the discovery of an object, an- a place, a thing, a presence. I think it's time to talk about Dusk Sea Breeze. Ah, uh, Yes. So, Dusk Seabreeze, one of my personal favorite stories ever, is an elf who sort of just enjoys chaos and enjoys inciting chaos. Because in this city of Moon Crescent where everybody kind of like, you know, sort of like the idea of Game of Thrones where it's like, you know, has been played in actual history forever and things like that. It's like, imagine if someone didn't give a shit about allegiance or kind of the outcome of the game. What if someone were added into that? And also enters into the game. Like, this person, Dusk Seabreeze, is a young person who enters into the game of secrets that's inside Moon Crescent, jumps from house to house in terms of allegiance, learns all sorts of shit, and ends up at House Crystalline, which we just decided is one of the famous houses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you mind if I tell the story of Dusk Seabreeze real quick? No, please. So Dusk Seabreeze goes from House Rosalia to House Crystalline, which are sort of rival houses. And in House Crystalline is tasked with disposing of a body. So he and a few other knights go down to dispose of this, and they're like, get rid of it under Moon Crescent, ditch this body. So Dusk Seabreeze goes down, down, down with these knights. They discover some underground cavern with this concept that we created called the Chrono Flow. The Chrono Flow is an under is an underground spring, flowing water all around, beautiful, all like every color imaginable. Except if you look in one of these water flows, if you look in one of these tiny waterfalls dripping through this spring, you see time. Mm-hmm. You see places and people and events, some of which are centuries old, some of which are centuries yet to come. If you look through all of the Chrono Flow, you will see all of time and space. Yeah. Every bit of it. Like, you wrote on this guy that's very good, mystical water flows that are the physical manifestation of time, and it's completely accurate, where if you stand before it, all time is compressed into one place. Yeah. And then the question becomes, the question the Dusk Seabreeze asked, and where he defined what came after was, what happens if you take out that water? Oof. Which leads us to the Shadow Binder, which is a conductor's baton, a mystical conductor's baton inside the Chrono Flow that can dam up pieces of time, pieces of the water. You know, you can stop the flow of the Chrono Flow. Time is locked away in shadow. We describe it in the episode as cutting out a frame of film. Yes. And then stitching those two things together. So it just skips right over it. And it's been a tremendous part of our lore from then on because it's one, where do they go? We do not know yet. Like, where do those timelines go? We know that he locks away certain timelines based on what kind of he wants because someone who incites chaos and things like that. But also, 
it's can you can you call out to him? Can you request that he lock away certain things? And that's where it gets juicy. He takes on a new identity. He becomes known as the Unseen Eye, an entity called upon to seal away secrets. If there is something, someone, an event that you don't want anyone knowing about, you can hire a detective to cover it up. You can hire a team of detectives to cover to hide a body. But if it's that important, if it is important enough that no one in his that no one can ever know that this event took place, you perform the ritual of the unseen eye. You summon the unseen eye. An aspect of this being appears to you, and you make a deal, and that event, to everyone's perception, simply never happened. Except yours. Oh, except yours. That's the best part. You will always know that something happened, and you will always know that you made this deal. And you will always know the terrible cost of what that deal was. It is the cruel bargain of the unseen eye. And it's so good. I love it so much. It's become such a pivotal role. And you can learn a lot about that in the, obviously, the Dusk Seabreeze episode. And also the uh, Pascal Fathoms episode. Yes, we talk about it well. more in the Pascal Fathoms episode. Yeah, Falcon Vale, Dusk Seabreeze, and uh, Pascal Fathoms all are solid uh, chronoflow business. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? We haven't talked about Sam Gord yet. Oh, yeah, right. The House Gord. Um, so let's talk about the, the bright, let's talk about House Bright Tower. So Sam Gord in episode zero starts out the concept of say something, justify it later. And a great example of this is in the Sprout Brussels episode. You can learn all about the history of the Gords there and the tremendous role that they play. And the reason I bring this up now is because. The Unseen Eye, I will say in a hint, has something to do with the Gord family. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we're very excited to talk about that whenever we get to it. A, a deal was made, a cost was paid, and a secret was hidden. That's so good. And I think that's a wrap on Rose's Guide Moon Crescent. Yeah, I think that covers like pretty much everything we want to talk about the elves. Gives you some episodes to jump off of if you want to learn more about the culture of the elves. It gives you some characters to get to know and uh, lets you know if if elven drama comes up in future episodes, you should be up to date. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great refresher for me, too, and everybody who's, uh, you know, who's caught up on Junior Wizard Land. Thank you to our Patreon backers for making this Rose's Guide possible. Yes, Rose's Guide is Patreon supported. We thank you so much for your support. If you enjoyed this and you'd like to hear more stuff like it, consider backing our Patreon at patreon.com slash allmyfantasychildren. Yeah. Um, what else do we should we talk about? Uh, let's see. Next uh, next episode on Rose's Guide. Um, do you want to talk about dwarves next? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We will be talking about the dwarves of Geode. Yes. I'm very excited. It's going to be a good episode. Excited. Yeah. So what? Until next time, I guess. Until next time, good night and good game. Welcome, Junior Wizards. It's me, Aaron. So I wanted to record something special for this episode of Rose's Guide, so I decided to make a myth of the elves, an elven myth. Uh, It's based heavily on the Puerto Rican myth of the hummingbird. So if you like this, check out the myth of the hummingbird because they're basically the same. But I wanted to make this because Sunday is Mother's Day. So this one is for you, Mom. Enjoy.
High in the mountains of Moon Crescent, there lies a waterfall of great renown. For at these falls, beautiful flowers reach through to catch the rays of the moon. This waterfall was the favorite spot of Nuadia, the daughter of a great elven lord. One night, after a long walk, she went to sit by the waterfall and rest. When she arrived, she was startled to see another young elf resting in her usual spot. They exchanged greetings and got to talking. His name was Joaquin, the son of fruit vendors, and these falls were a place he would visit to pick the fruits of a special tree that only grew nearby. The two parted ways and both thought, what a surprise that I might meet another young elf by my secret spot. But night after night, the two would walk to their secret spot and bump into each other again. The two became fast friends, and soon they were meeting every night to sit by the falls and chat about their lives and dreams. Nuaria told Joaquin of her life as the daughter of a great lord, how her father had chosen a man for her to marry from a rival house, and how she dreamed of doing nothing but sitting by the falls and gazing into the moon. Joaquin told Nuaria of how he spends his days picking fruits in the forest, and how he dreams of doing nothing but hunting for the most beautiful flowers in all the world. The two met night after night for weeks, telling each other about their days, about their triumphs and their struggles, but always about their dreams. And as their friendship grew, it then blossomed into love, watered by the falls and fed by the light of the moon. The two, however, would never speak of their adoration for one another. For the night they both mustered the courage to confess their love, Nawadia's father discovered her meeting with Joaquin and forbade her to ever return to those falls. So full of grief was Nuaria that she begged the moon herself for help. She pleaded for a chance to be with Joaquin one last time and tell him how she felt. And the moon took pity on her. Nuaria became the most beautiful flower of the falls. She reached far past the waters, and her petals drank deep of the moon's light. There Nuaria would rest for all eternity. As for Joaquin... He arrived at the falls that night and waited for Nawadia's arrival. He waited and waited, and when the night was almost over and Nawadia had not arrived, Joaquin sat by the falls and wept. He cried out to the moon, begging her to help him find Nawadia and be with her once more. And the moon took pity on him. Joaquin became a glorious hummingbird so that he could seek out the most beautiful and rarest flower in all the world. The next night, Nuwadia's father came to the falls looking for her and noticed a beautiful hummingbird in the night sky. He watched as the small bird darted over the great falls, passing by hundreds and hundreds of flowers, until one caught the small bird's eye. The elven lord was moved to tears. He had never seen such a beautiful flower in all his life, and he smiled as the hummingbird fluttered and twirled before the flower as if to say, This one. The hummingbird carefully perched himself on the flower's petals and began to rest. The two were together once more, their dreams fulfilled, resting by the falls in their favorite spot. <laughs>